This week on The Guardian Audio Edition, David Cameron's threat to block EU reforms branded economic insanity. Some surprising facts about hedgehogs. And in our audiobook review, we look at feminist audiobooks by Jermaine Greer and Natasha Walter. To subscribe for free to The Guardian Audio Edition, go to audible.co.uk slash guardian or find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. The Guardian Audio Edition, a new way to get the whole picture. The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly, stumbling into 2013. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week, Kieran finds out everything about everything, everything. We kick off a new series called Hidden Treasures, and ASAP Rocky, Suede, and Willow Smith. What a peculiar combination of people slug it out in Singles Club. That's all on Music Weekly from The Guardian. We are joined... By Alex Needham. Hello. Hello. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. Um, what's been happening in the world of pop this week? David Bowie's put a single out. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there were there were just uh, there were one or two articles on the on the yeah, yeah, website. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. I really. I mean, regardless of what you think of the, the track, I, I actually really like it. As a sort of bit of playing the media, and indeed playing new media, you know, playing the internet as well. Total masterstroke. Never seen anything like it in my life. It's incredible how now. Well, obviously, you've got to build up that much excitement, which mm. isn't which isn't possible if you're in people's faces all the time. But I mean, he doesn't really need to. He didn't need to do anything. He didn't need to say anything. It was just the record and the video mm. and the artwork, and there was uh, there was so much to kind of to to get into and to talk about and to sort of revel in. I'm just amazed he got away with. It. I'm amazed he's managed to spend apparently two years making an album. And, you know, no one spotted him coming out of a studio and took a picture on a camera phone. No one sort of slipped up on Twitter. Somebody must have been involved in the making of it, you know, and a musician or something. And nobody's gone, oh, yeah, the new David, but, oh, sorry, you know, frantically trying to delete a direct message that you sent out into the... Well, there's been explanations for that, though. Has he just been making it under cover of darkness? Or I don't know. I know silenced? he has a very... I think he has quite a small organisation around him, David Bowie. I don't think he has sort of a vast entourage of people. I think he's an right. office with, like, three people in it, and that's it. Um, and from what I gather, I don't think his record company knew anything about it. I mean, he lives quite quietly in New York, mm. doesn't he? He's probably got a studio in his house, mm. I would imagine, or like a little office that he goes to, whatever. But I suppose you can still go more or less under the radar unless you're drawing huge amounts of attention to yourself. Well, I suppose it, 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 the fact you can go under the radar is underlined by the fact that he spent 10 years out of the public eye. Mm. And he genuinely has spent 10 years out of the public eye. And there's been all this speculation that he's terribly ill and all this kind of thing, which clearly isn't true. And nobody's kind of sold a story about him. Nobody's kind of really... I mean, there's been a couple of photographs of him, but not... Do you know what I mean? It seems quite an odd thing to me. Yeah, I mean, one really clever thing was that there was no huge announcement, this is it. Mm. He just disappeared and then the silence got longer and longer and longer. Yeah. And then, yeah, all those rumours did grow up that he was that he was dreadfully ill. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because there was so much with the Olympics and the closing ceremony, everyone mm. was like, sort of, where's David Bowie? Mm. But it's very clever. And also that, you know, there are a couple of exhibitions on this year. There's one at the V&A and also the Tate. Liverpool is having a glam rock show, so strangely... Is it? I didn't yeah. know that. That sounds great. Yeah, they are. No, that opens next month. Does it? Yeah. Wow. So, um... 
going to book me a ticket to Liverpool and go to that. Yeah, that sounds great. No, no, it will be great. But yeah, he's waited for exactly the right moment, and you don't know whether it's accident or design, but it's, it couldn't have gone better. Or worse, if you were releasing a record on the same day. <laughs> yeah, it, day just before, terrible. Yeah. Atoms for Peace. You know, I saw that, that single. I mean, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure Tom, Tom York doesn't mind. But um, I saw that was sort of big. It's like no one's going to pay any attention God, to God, I didn't even realise that had been released. You see, that more than proves my point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any other news this week? What's the other news? Any other thing? Anything else happened in the world of... In this crazy business, as Carl Bartos of Kraftwerk wants to describe the music industry to me. What about... Oh, here's a good one. What about beef... The beef between oh. Azalea, Azalea Banks and Angel, and Angel Hayes. Hayes. Neither of whom, I thought, came out of it terribly well. No. no. One being racist, the other one being homophobic. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not great. <laughs> um, is, is, I mean, I tend to look upon hip-hop beef, right. beefs generally, and not have a clue what they're arguing about. I mean, I maybe I, I don't want to pull the kind of, you know, clueless middle-class white guy card, but... You know, I sort of look at what, what, what rappers seem to take incredible theatrical offence at anything. They're like my mother. Like, they're a sensitive breed, Alexis. Huh? They're a sensitive breed. They're very. They? They're like my mother. You know, they're <laughs> taking the hoff about everything. Um, the, the, a, um, what were they arguing about? They were arguing about coming well, from New York or not coming from. Well, New yeah, York. it began because uh, Angel Hayes is obviously from Michigan, and her breakout single was New York, talking about how she runs New York and. Uh, I think Azealia tweeted something sort of along the lines of, you're not from New York if you're from Michigan. And then she sort of responded to this and then it went back and forth, back and forth. And it blew up in the end with, uh, yeah, homophobic, racist rants from both of them. And Angel Hayes did apologise, but Azealia didn't. And now she's warring with Perez Hilton. Azealia Banks <laughs> fights with everybody, though, doesn't she? She I mean, does. Azealia Banks just... She, I, I noticed a list of her, her, her Twitter beat. She's like Morrissey. Oh, yeah, exactly. She's a, you know, she's a troll, no hmm. doubt. Uh, but, you know, I think all of that aside, I think I prefer her as an artist. Morrissey said yeah, he did. That's the other big thing. <laughs> Morrissey said he, would, he was considering voting for UKIP. I just think that round about probably five years ago, Morrissey, some some other personality was transplanted into Morrissey. I mean, obviously he's always oh been awkward and he's always liked mm. to stir people up, but he gets he seems to get more kind of rancid by mm. the week, and it's never funny anymore. Or kind no, of no, it's not wittily or, done. <laughs> right. What is he he's calling David Beckham? David Peckham. No, I know. Like, is, that, is that the best? We're a long way from the lyrics of Reel Around the Fountain here, aren't we? I mean, if that's the best pun you can come up with. Or even Band-Aid is the undiscussable. That's you know, brilliant. It's not, it's, not some, it's not something that's that's clever and shocking. It's just something that's boorish and annoying. Although I had a look at uh, UKIP's hateful. manifesto, or UKIP, you know, I, actually, I had a look at UKIP's manifesto. I had a look on UKIP's Wikipedia page. <laughs> and um, their manifesto is like something written by Morrissey. It's like, oh, immigration, oh, dear me, oh, animal rights yes that's very important they're big on um, animal rights big on animal rights um, and there was something else they were big oh let's bring back imperial measurements you know I right, well, Morrissey would probably Morrissey would, I bet that. Morrissey would love imperial measurements yes yes okay. definitely yeah, but no it's a, it's, it's a shame his fans you know the dwin- the dwindling band mm. I mean he must he must see off I mean obviously he has incredibly die hard Fans of which I would have counted myself one, as I'm sure you would as well. Uh, one Alexis, po- at one point, yeah. But, uh, I mean, really? I, I, yeah. Well, I wasn't like a huge. I wasn't like ever a mental Smiths fan. I mean, right. at school, the big and that, and uh, I, I, there was something a bit odd about people who were really into the Smiths. It's like, what you've changed? What you're eating? Because a pop star's told you to. What is stupid or something? Mm. It's like it was just not. It seemed a bit sort of culty and odd to me. And I, I love the Smiths. They're a great band, you know. But um, I was never sort of a. I never had a quiff. Or anything like that, you know. 
No. Did you? I didn't have, I didn't have a quiff and actually they were slightly too um they were slightly before my time really they'd sp- they, they split <laughs> in my hugely advanced <laughs> years well, no, I know, they split up when I was 13 I think so I was a little bit too although I, I when they kind of like in the early 90s they were always a sort of a bit of a keystone weren't they for for all the Britpop bands oh, like absolutely. Suede used to go on about them all the time absolutely so that was that was sort of more but I mean I think you know the records are still amazing it's just a shame that Morrissey sees He's, he's just kind of trashing such an amazing body yeah. of work, I think. Right, let us move on. Everything Everything represent the most intricate, streamlined merging yet of math rocks, arch complexities, Electronica's 80s obsession and hooks made from mobile phone interference. That was The Guardian's take on Everything Everything's live show in 2012. So, with a new album imminent, we thought it was time to have them on the pod. They talked to Kieran about Manchester music, the myth of the guitar band resurgence and the merits of a skinny boiler suit. Jeremy and I'm Jonathan. We're from Everything Everything. You've Perfect. just you've just come off the train from Manchester, though, mm. right? Yes. Well, there is a bit. There's a legacy of bands travelling from Manchester, obviously, to yeah. London. You know, you're f- the travelling bands. The travelling yeah. bands, of course. Um, how how have you sort of um, been a part of that of that legacy of the Manchester band, or have you tried to transcend it? To begin with, we we wanted to leave it alone altogether, and that was kind of the sort of common thread between us and a few other bands that were sort of happened to be starting out at the same time was that people were sick to death of reading about the usual bunch of bands and and the sort of the post-Hacienda sort of fallout and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sometimes bands do get overwhelmed by working within the framework of that, but then when there has been a little bit of a, a shift, then you have some time it's to nice to sort of get, build. get some distance from it as well, and then you can enjoy it more, it, like you can enjoy the history of other cities you know and other music scenes instead of trying to be somehow connected to it or in it even yeah just get get over it and then you can look back and say yeah that was really good because the music itself was never a problem for us you know we really liked the smiths <laughs> enjoy division yeah and elbow and loads of other bands from manchester you know so um but it was just the um the slightly london-centric notion that nothing had happened there since <laughs> 1991 you know Apart from Oasis. Which, apart from Oasis. Which was always kind of so big that it was sort of removed from the city anyway. Do you think that um, the sort of the shift in indie music over the last few years in terms of having such strong mainstream appeal has given you a bit of a break to really think about where you are rather than having all these different replications of indie music, which I think that there was in the early 2000s perhaps? Yeah. I think, again, when we first started the band, there was it was just... Just on the, the turn. On the turn, because bands like the Libertines and and yeah, all of that sort of cod musical nonsense had started to kind of wither. 
which is great. <laughs> but um, but also weirder bands, you know, whatever you may think of them and their sort of career trajectory, Claxons had a really huge spotlight for a band that, that didn't really have songs and didn't really have stru- lyrics about getting drunk and falling in love, Dan the pub. It was It was really quite c- cerebral. You know, it was sort of lots of... Greek mythology and stuff in there and it was just a bit more colourful it just seemed more ambitious somehow and Foles were, were kind of musically ambitious as well and we were quite um, inspired by that or at least in so far as they, they seemed to be accepted into the mainstream we thought oh well this is probably a good sign and then do you, do you feel more closely aligned to that kind of music that sort of more well more so than we do to the Libertines yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good thing that can only be a good thing I think but do you think that we're in a period of uh, resurgence for guitar bands yes well, I don't know. I think, but you could look at the clacks. Sorry, look at the vaccines. Yes. And say yes, we are. But you could look at any period from any time and say there's a a good guitar band at the moment. There's a yeah. big one, and you know, mm-hmm. Coldplay have a guitar. You know, they I have a piano. <laughs> <laughs> it, de- it depends what you what you. Sure, class but there, as was a a, there was band. a real domination of a very specific sound for a long time, which I think yeah, is but now it wasn't been... really in the mainstream, was it? If you look back at the top-selling records between 2001 and 2006, they're not going to be by the Libertines. I mean, really, since Britpop, nothing, no guitar music has sold, but people look back at it and think, oh, well, that was the time that guitar bands were king, and people will look back at the early noughties, and le- at least in this country, and think, well, the post-strokes legacy was the thing that ruled. But it didn't, not commercially, not in the mainstream. But genre classifications are sort of created and held onto because people want to feel musically aligned to a sound. They want to feel musically aligned yeah. to and that, a trend. That sort of tribalism is fine. You know, that's that was something that we did, I think, when we were kids. When definitely. Sort of Radiohead versus Ibiza, sort of late 90s years. We were definitely <laughs> on one side of that fence. <laughs> what is the the tribal uniform for that kind of music? Uh, combat trousers. <laughs> yeah, combat trousers. <laughs> so- Those- <laughs> Glasses with the uh, orange lenses. You just mean like all saints. A frown. A frown, yeah. That's basically what we all look like. <laughs> what, what do your fans look like when you're looking out? Do you notice any kind of consistency? Uh, no, not really. No, I don't know. sort of pink. <laughs> pink faces. Yeah. Depending Screaming, on the colour of the lights, really. Yeah. I think also because you have quite a strong visual identity within your videos and your live shows and that kind of thing. It's not. It's not a very kind of repl- easy replicated look. It's not like you're really fetishizing the skinny jean or whatever particularly. No, no exactly. The skinny boiler suit, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> look forward to that one. That's, no, that's in the past now. Mine was especially skinny, actually. I couldn't get it off over my ankles after the shows. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little talk bit about your your videos from 2012. Well, I think lots of been has been obviously been written about cough cough, but also the lyrics and the sort of visuals that went alongside Armaland in terms of being quite politically motivated or, you know, politicised in some way. Armaland, well, there's a few places on the album where there's sort of influence of the rioting and the, and the sort of general malaise of the country and of the West. Well, of, ev- of the world, <coughs> actually, um, sort of comes to the fore. I bet you the price off the line, man. You won't be here at the end, end. You won't be slumped in a doorway. I mean, that song is very similar in theme to a song called Duet as well, um, which is kind of about being in a society that's on its last legs and and sort of juxtaposing that against the relationship that's also going through troubles and and the and the physical world itself kind of 
collapsing with you know environmental troubles etc etc and all these things kind of combining into a pretty chaotic kind of landscape and then you have sort of characters in the middle of it trying to make sense of it and it's it's sort of uh most of the album kind of takes place in that place if it was if there was a place um cough cough mm -hmm. is sort of the angry edge of it and the sort of financial side of it that's what i really liked about it because i think that a lot of the time um, when bands talk about these kind of issues, it can fall into kind of melancholic drones about the state of society and, you know, mm. the sort of bleak dystopia which we're currently living in. And I think that that kind of anger and that power and the energy worked really well. And I think, you know, sort of all the drums in the video and all that mm. kind of, mm. you know, frenetic stuff was really good and worked really well. So how important was it for you to, you know, still retain that while talking about these? Oh, absolutely. I think um, frustration, I guess, is probably better way of describing it than anger almost. It's kind of just absolute frustration with with no mm -hmm. progress or with or with what not was being your able to solve pro of problems. writing them were you were you kind of watching the news and was it just a, like a response to things around you or did you sort of take it back and then talk as a band about things or what's what's your writing process um it's sort of i pick up little bits here and there the things people say that i like the rhythm of or the the way they sound like other things or things like that and i write them down and i also write down just sort of quite basic feelings um, in the same place and then I come back and look at them later and they sort of spark off new ideas and, and old ideas and then I sort of go down roots with them and there's usually two two things I'm sort of playing off each other because it's kind of a bit boring to just have one I think <laughs> and so I tend to sort of throw a bit of my own life in there alongside some much bigger issue or kind of but that's kind of new on this album because on Man Alive there was lots of of the same thing but it was sort of mired in in figurative mm. and allegorical and metaphorical stuff. Yeah. We, because we were all kind of, I mean, I don't write the lyrics, you know, that's Jonathan's mm -hmm. domain, but I think all of us, and especially you, were, were slightly afraid to show our faces a bit, you know, first time round. Although we didn't know it at the time. Why do you think but that is? I don't know, we would, I, it's not. I think it's confidence more than anything. Yeah. And, and that's what's grown in since the first record, hugely for me, is mm. just confidence in myself and what I think and what our place is as a band and what I should be singing about and mm -hmm. whether people are going to care about it and whether that matters and all the rest of it, all the stuff you worry about. It was a very kind of teenage record in a lot of ways man alive especially my sort of persona was this sort of gabbling kind of oh he's clever but what's he talking about kind of you know, <laughs> you know just kind of like oh but am i clever you know you know, you know what i mean yeah, it's a yeah. bit a little bit too sort of i was trying to kind of cover up the fact that you know you don't know what i'm talking about but i you know it's it's above you kind of thing yeah. but not not really but that was kind of the shadow not the shadow but that was the kind of cover i put up was like you know it's mystical work it out but really, whereas it was whereas really no one's ever going to work out half that stuff because it's you have to be you have to have grown up in my house and been me and <laughs> know that there's lines in it that my brother said to me and mm -hmm. and that was a you know him saying a lyric to something else wrong you know when we were seven and just ridiculous things like that you couldn't possibly know and I started to not I think kind of felt like I didn't wasn't making the connection I wanted to and I think that's what I've tried to do we've all tried to do musically and lyrically and Mm -hmm. Even the way we're presenting ourselves this time, you know, we're putting our faces everywhere we can. There's no kind mm -hmm. of that was quite a conscious effort. Glitchy fox. Really? There's no, yeah. there's no mystery about 
I find that really interesting. People found it, I think, difficult to to connect with the band on a personal level this time. And and because we've all kind of, you know, we've grown up a bit, grown up over the last two, three years, whatever it's been. And, um, you know, collectively and individually. And that's why there's, you know, there's four individual portraits on the cover that's kind of, you know, these these are the components of the band. And and we, we all feel a bit more kind of individually confident and collectively and... You know everything you've just said, really. Mm. So going into 2013, is that what's is that what's on the card? Kind of just developing your voices and touring and yeah, doing kind that. of, and just well, all the usual stuff that bands do. But you know, we want to make a connection with people without without really changing what we do artistically. That was always the goal. You know, we just want to reach more people, but without. What are the initial responses that you've got from? People it's hard there. because uh, our management is sort of secretly <laughs> reading reviews and then not letting us see, <laughs> and then not letting us see them. But then, and then, but then saying, he's "Guys, what do you think of this poster?" Though. And putting a quote from a review we haven't read on the poster. And we're like, "Is that tr- is that is real? That, is that good? Is that true?" <laughs> so we don't know. But okay. I think the I think thing that surprised positive. us, though, yeah, was how much sort of uh, support from from our fans and from fans we didn't know we have, and from radio if, if, and all that media stuff, whatever that's worth, and and the public. That we that was just there in arrears, as it were, between t- albums because the, the first record is still growing. I think people are still hearing it's it for the first time every people. day, and mm-hmm. um, so people are just still just dis- discovering the band. And and when Cough Cough, the first thing off the album came out, we were really surprised at the number of people that were ready to receive it with open arms, and mm-hmm. and we're really pleased with that. That was Kieran talking to everything over. They seem nice. They're very nice. Excellent. Um, <laughs> Quite making a bit of a faux pas talking about how guitar bands had gone away, but in fact they've never really gone away. So, yeah, no. Depends on who you talk to. <laughs> yes, yes. But it does. I mean, if you're into heavy metal, <laughs> you know. It's, but I, I know somebody somebody called me up on this on Twitter, and mm. I was like, "Oh, terrible! You have a guitar music." And this guy was into. Mm. I don't know where you know country music. No, with Anil Nakrath or something like that, and he yeah. was like, "Well, it's been a brilliant year for guitar, but you know, every year's a brilliant year for it's guitar music if you're into heavy metal, isn't it?" Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, anyway, yes, the new album uh, Arc. That's everything, everything rather than Anil Nakrath. Um, the new album Arc is out on the fourteenth. Uh, it's time for Singles Club, uh, basically where we all bring a track in and subject it to illuminating philosophical debate or or alternative. We just argue. Anyway, we'll start with Alex's choice. And they touch you like no one touched you When you broke, they were there with you And their kindness was not a weakness When they were there, they were there for you But will they? Swade, back, back, back. 
with Barriers, um, their comeback single, released on the same day as David Bowie's <laughs> comeback, bless them. I think it was of the day, all the bands. I think it was the day before, but they've. It's also their. Um, they they haven't released a single for over ten years, so it's almost the same wow. story. They packed in at exactly the same time. Bowie did. <laughs> How amazing! They did. I remember their last album was called A New Morning, mm. and it was a ter- it was a terrible flop, and they had a really bad first single called. Positivity. Yes, I remember. Positivity. So, uh, and, I, and I think both of them were not successful commercial or critically. So they packed it in. Yeah, but now they're back, back, back. And I think this is really good. It's quite reinvigorated. I mean, Suede were a band who split up on Lamented. I think it's fair to say. I mean, I'm sure there's people. You know, I'm sure. No, but I mean, I'm sure there was people. You know, die-hard fans. Um, who'd been with them start very upset and all that kind of thing. But it was one of those things where it sort of ended with a bit of a whimper rather than the bang. And yet they came back and. They, I saw their sort of big comeback gig at the Royal Albert Hall, mm. and it was brilliant. And you sort of thought, actually, this is a really good band, you know, that had been history just hadn't really been on Suede's side. I think they've always been quite underrated. Mm. I mean, in a way, they were the sort of first Britpop band, weren't they? They sort of, you know, there's this amazing soap op, there's this amazing soap opera behind the whole of Britpop, where yeah, you know, where they, where. Him and uh, where Brett and Damon Albarn both went out with Justine Frischman. Yes, but so before, not, at the, not at the same time. I hasten to add. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, so before there was a, a Oasis and Blur rivalry, there was the Suede and Blur rivalry. Exactly. I thought I was struck by the fact that Britpop probably would have been a lot more interesting as a genre had Suede ended up being like the defining band, you know, the band that everybody followed, rather than, not necessarily Blur, but certainly rather than, you know, I think there's probably a little bit more to Suede than there is Oasis. Definitely. I mean, I mean, in the early 90s, they were an amazing breath of, of fresh air. I mean, it was like something, uh, it was like, a, you know, a group that you hadn't, you hadn't seen for for years. You know, they're yeah. the most exciting thing since the Stone Roses three years previously, hands down. Yeah. And then they did get overtaken by Blur and Oasis, which I'm sure still annoys them no end. But I, you know, and they and they did sort of slot. There was a terrible kind of slide into irrelevance that mm. went on for about for about seven years. But I do think that having. <laughs> You know, I, I do think that it's it, it sounds convincing this record, and I like the you know his voice is still really good. I like mm. the general vigor behind it. You know, and give, you know, given their you know given how old they are and the fact that nobody really was probably crying out for it. I admire the chutzpah. No, I think it's a, I think it's, it sounds pretty ferocious. I saw Suede play live in Cambridge just before Metal Mickey came out mm. and it's without a shadow doubt the most mental audience reaction that I've ever seen at a gig it was genuinely kind of really? berserk and terrifying and kind of incredibly weirdly sexually charged yeah. and just a very kind of a very 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 odd evening yeah. um, it looked like it might you know, it looked like it might <laughs> spill over into vile you didn't know whether you were going to end up getting off with somebody or getting punched you know what I mean <laughs> I once said that to Bernard Butler and he went, get off with somebody you hoped. (laughs) (laughs) I also, that's when Brett used to slap his own bottom on stage, which no one has ever done since, have they? No one's ever picked up. This is, of course, all before your time, (laughs) Kira. Well, I was just going to say, when I I listened to this track uh, and I was kind of doing some research and started digging and uh, I was trolling through, not trolling, trolling, but... Trawling. I was looking, yeah. Trawling. <laughs> trawling. Uh, I was trawling through, uh, you know, various forums, uh, which was kind of throwing up this debate about uh, their contribution to Britpop and how Britpop you know, would be completely different and you know, his fantastic legacy if only they had been, you know, well represented enough. And I thought it was really interesting because this 
I I'd heard a few of the tracks from that era, and this seems like a lot more poppy almost. There's this, it's more kind of cacophonous. It seems a little bit more like it would capture the public's imagination than well, tracks from that period. Yeah, I mean, the reason is you know that, I mean? Ber- that Bernard Butler, the genius guitarist of yeah. the first two albums, left. And then they have, right. him and Brett have made it up but the rhythm, there's still too much bad blood between him and the okay. rhythm section. Is that, so is that, is that the, the apparent issue? Um, it's always interesting, though, I think, when you're coming uh, from the outside, uh, looking in. Because for me, trying to sort of uh, listen to a suede song of that era alongside something from, from Oasis is so difficult to compare because mm. Oasis already have this mm. legacy in my mind. And so I could, you know, I could yeah. never really see how they It's interesting, isn't compared. it? That Oasis, Oasis music is sort of. Um, it's just there. It's a constant. You hear it all the time, and yet you you, you seldom hear the Drowners by Swell. No, that's true. Which um, is a real shame. It's a fantastic record. Yeah, that first EP in particular was just one of those. Things that, well, I'm I'm glad they're back. Uh, yeah, me too. They no, they they definitely there is they they do have a flavour that nobody else has, and I think Absolutely. and I think they sound you know they 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 don't sound like anybody else around at the moment on this record. But he does sound a little bit Michael Stipe, doesn't he? Does he? Did you get that? I thought, I, when I was like, oh, that's a little bit R.E.M.-y. That's interesting, because I never that? thought of that. I remember like a band that were compared particularly to R.E.M. No, although they were, I sort of know a, I know a bit what you, what you mean. <laughs> do you? Do you? <laughs> you really am. <laughs> I think you do. Um, well, look, that's Swave Barriers, which is, um, I, I believe, a, a free download. Yes, it is. Yes. You've got um, to give your email and then they probably bombard you with uh, stuff. stuff yeah. But I mean, that's all right. Yeah. Um, you know, it seems a fair exchange for a, 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 a decent track like that. Swade's Barriers um, available from their website, I would imagine. Let's move on to Kieran's Choice. I tried to be sugar and spice But I'm melancholy and can't do anything Monsters in my bed keep making noise and I I just want silence, silence But I can't try this Sorry, I was eating some crisps. Um, <laughs> uh, that was, um, was Willow Smith. Um, with Sugar and Spice, uh, Kieran's Choice. Um, Willow Smith, obviously, of uh, I Whip My Hair Back and Forth fame. Yep. Um, it's a very... She's like 12 or something, isn't yes. she? Yes. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a record made by a 12-year-old. I've got, you know, I, I think it's a good record. It's a good, good mm. you know, interestingly produced uh, pop ballad. But she sounds quite quite mature. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds It sounds like a very contrived transitional kind of track it's like someone has told her you know come on we're coming of age now and you're growing up a little bit and you know maybe we should really how old is she she's 12 she's very young I feel like I don't know I feel like it's it's sort of out of character but I think it's I think it's a good track I mean of course there isn't that maturity to the tone you can hear in her voice and it hasn't got that that affected girliness that you might get on something like Joanna Newsom or Coco Rosie or something. She mm. just sounds like a young girl rather than. I think she sounds. Like, I don't, honestly, I don't think she sounds like a young girl. I think she really? sounds. Like, I don't, certainly, don't think it certainly doesn't sound like like the affected girliness of Coco Rosie or something. But um, yeah, I, I, I think mm-hmm. she sounds about thirty-five. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think she sounds kind of like a, a, a mature lady. 
I mean, I not think, mature lady. I think the song <laughs> does, but I think her actual voice, I've, I think that it's still kind of... Is that weird? Is that weird? Is it just me that thinks it's, it's a bit yeah, weird? It's, it's well, weird. I, didn't, I didn't like it. I think 12 is too, is too... She's got all her life to do terribly emo ballads about how everybody yeah. hates her. Not, yeah. a, not age 12. She's gone from she's gone from whipping her hair to you know self flagellation sampling yeah radio hair is it is it is it sample radio yeah it's the what, what? codex codex ah right yeah. I didn't pick up on that there you go mm-hmm. um and this is her new single yes yeah, so this is her new single and I think this this is kind of part of this weird transitional thing she's going through like because people yeah, obviously transitional have transitional things when they're 12 years old the main transitional know. thing she'd have is going to secondary school <laughs> isn't it what's all this um, she's changing her name have you seen this to what Aba Mort A-B-R-E M-O-R-T so I don't know how to Mort like death like Mort yeah, <laughs> like exactly. French for death exactly she's got all melancholic and existential in her young age that's no way for a 12 year old to be it's, I mean it's, it's not I wasn't really like that the problem is, what's she going to do next? She's, we've already had the pop stage. Now we've got, we've now we've going, we've gone straight to the emo stage. She's hurtling <laughs> through it at a rate of knots. She, isn't she? She's going to be, she's going reti- to have to retire at fourteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, why, why, out of interest, do you bring this in? Because you don't um, seem to like it very much. No, I do like oh, it. Oh right, I, mean, oh, okay. I think it, I think it's weird. I thought it, you know, it was sort of weird and interesting. The the kind of difference between the two, between the, you know, the kind of bubblegum popness to whip my hair but actually whip my hair was i mean it was pop but it was still interesting it was oh, it's still, incredibly well made it was really yeah really well produced, produced. Yeah, yeah, yeah like you know really warped and weird and mm. really good and i think that that was very ahead of her time a lot older than her that could have been made i think by you know rihanna or mm-hmm. or someone like that and so this is like changing tack but it's a similar thing you know she's you know it's it's well produced she's still you know she's sampling tommy radiohead I thought it was a bit boring, really. It's quite long, yeah, because Whip My Hair was such an amazing, exuberant kind of record, and I don't think you get many records like that, whereas you get an Mm. awful lot of records, which are sort of wee small hours, you know, R&B. Yeah. Before, I felt like she was was unique, Mm. whereas now she seems to be a a little bit behind the curve to me. So she has done all the kind of up-tempo, you know, young kid kind of thing. But only, like, when my hair was only like year before last, wasn't it? Yeah. 2011? Yeah, she was nine then. (laughs) (laughs) This is the most ballady thing she's done, but I do like seeing little periods of reinvention. I think that this is the age, if you're going to do it, to go... Be completely different, and then I wouldn't be surprised if she did something. She's twelve. Else. Well, yeah, that's what I'm I mean. saying. Is oh, it's time to do something completely different. She's not like forty-one. No, I mean it's you know this is a time where she could you know do a country track next, and it'd be perfectly fine. Because like she's young, she's experimenting, she's exploring different genres. This is all fun, and then when she's old enough to. You know, gather all the genres together. She can be like, "This is the one that I like. This is what I want to do." It is amazing how quickly kind of pop has accelerated now. It's like when you look at Harry Styles from One Direction. Right. He's gone from fresh face to now he's got like thirty tattoos, thirty million tattoos, and, weird and, and, tattoos, incipient yeah. beer gut as well. So, has he? Uh, yeah, and smoking. And he's smoking. Oh God, really? And Justin Bieber. And the old, uh, yeah. <laughs> smoking, smoking a bit of the old. Uh, <laughs> they grow up so fast these days. They do, don't they? Mind Justin Bieber's a bit old. How old Harry? He's nineteen, isn't he? Harry Styles. Yeah, yeah. Justin's eighteen, isn't he? Yeah. But you know, I reckon Harry Styles probably all right. Yeah, I no, reckon if you is. met him, I reckon if you went to the pub with Harry Styles, but quite no, good people do seem to like him. They're older than him, which does make me think that he must be charismatic or something behind I think the scenes. Yeah, I think he's a charismatic. Or is Justin Bieber? I always imagine 
You went to the pub with him with a total washout. Yeah. yeah. This is like yeah total, nothing much to say. Nah, it's boring. Um, anyway, well, there you go. Um, if you want to listen to some 12-year-old freakishly carrying on, <laughs> like a woman in her 30s, Willow Smith's Sugar and Spice is, is around about now on the internet, is it? Yeah, this is from the album Knees and Elbows out later this year. Knees and Elbows? Knees and Elbows. Wow, okay. Right, anyway, let's, um, let's move on to my choice. Niggas like for a block of cheese. Catch me out in China stunting. Yeah, I'm about my guapanese. My shoe game serves, so serves. Guapanese niggas say I'm blessed. My bad, I forgot to sneeze. Feel your reasons, go bitch. I got some tissues for your issues. Tell them blow this. That's ASAP Rocky uh, featuring Santi Gold, Hell, uh, which is a track from his uh, forthcoming debut album, which is out on Monday. Um, we had an ASAP Rocky track which Kieran brought in, also on the album, Fucking Problems, um, before Christmas, which didn't really like very much. And I really like this. There are lots of really, really good things about the ASAP Rocky album, this track being one of them. I think production's brilliant. I think it's, it's amazing the way it's got that kind of rave synthesizer sound in it, but yeah. it sounds like that rave synthesizer sound as heard by someone who's about to pass out. It's just like totally woozy, kind of, you know, it's incredibly slow. I'm, I'm just moving back and forth to the microphone. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> um So yeah, I've been sipping on some lean um, before I came in. That's, that's the problem. Uh, Santi Gold, uh, great, great vocal. I think it's good, really good pop hit, hook against something that isn't a very pop track. Yeah. Um, the issues I have with ASAP Rocky. One, a dexterous lyricist. Um, you know, good, good word... Uh, Nothing to say. Yeah. Not a solitary thing to say about it. There's one track on the album um, where he discusses the sort of rags to riches narrative, which again is not exactly much original thing to be discussing in hip hop, but very does it very very well and full of affecting detail. Um, most of the time, he likes fucking the bitches. That's established fairly thoroughly. He, um, he thinks he's very good looking and he likes <laughs> clothes. Um, <laughs> That and, and basically that he is, I'm not, I know he's a, he's a pretty boy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a song on the album, that's amazing, um, called uh, "Fashion Killer," which is about how his girlfriend <laughs> likes cl- designer clothes. A subject about you just listen. To it, why have you written a song about this? You have nothing to say about it. It's not funny. It's just like it goes yeah, uh, Christian. D-. It's like a list of designers. It's, it's, it's stupid. However, the best bits of it. Um, the tracks produced by Clams Casino. Mm. Um, the, the opening sort of five tracks are just amazing. It's, cr- it's incredibly great, sort of woozy, you know, exciting thing. I am unsure whether this is going to be a hugely successful record or not. Mm. It doesn't strike me as having like killer singles. It has amazing tracks, but not killer singles. I feel that he lost a bit of momentum over the course of the last year. I don't know whether that's whether that's accurate because he, he did. He did. I mean, the album was meant to come out in September. Yeah, and because um, because like everyone, I really liked the uh, the mixtape mm-hmm. he put out at the back end of yeah. the year before last. And then you know there were. I mean, he came over, didn't he, in June? And he's done the odd. He did a couple of European festivals, and there's been bits and pieces. Um, there's that Lana Del Rey thing as well, wasn't mm-hmm. there? Yeah. But but I feel like he's. The others have come along and maybe, and sort of not stolen his thunder necessarily, but I think he's maybe been a bit too complacent. I think there's more competition. The, I, I think there's some, I think something's gone a bit up with the album mm. because it was meant to come out in September, then it was meant to come out in October. He ended up touring America 
at the back end of last year, ostensibly promoting an album that wasn't out yet. Mm. And there's a lot of guest appearances on there. And the actual, the rap guest appearances are brilliant. They're really well chosen. It's not, apart from Drake, it's not huge stars. People like Action Bronson and um, Schoolboy Q. Is that right? Is that, is that right yeah, about him? School from Black Hippie. Yeah, from Black Hippie. Kendrick um, the Mars, mate. Um, all, you know, Kendrick the Mars on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the non-rap appearances are by Florence from Florence and the Machine, mm. Santi Gold, and Skrillex. Now, oh. this strikes me mm. as a record company ticking box. You know what I mean? Mm. Better do a dubstep track. Better, do, you know. Mm. And they they are less good than the tracks where they just left well enough alone. To be honest with you, Kieran, you know much more about this than I do. Presumably, I imagine you have a whole. I imagine ASAP probably has <laughs> rung you up and talked to you about this. Um, what what's been going on? Well, I think that. I would agree with you in terms of, you know, not having anything particularly groundbreaking to say lyrically. Uh, but that's why I like it. And I think that that's kind of the point, because I think when we were talking earlier, what I said was that, he, you know, what I like about him is that he talks about what rappers have been talking about for the last 10 years, but just better than everybody else does. Okay, you know, the sort of the production is really interesting. And he is a proper rap innovator in that sense. He really takes, you know, he takes all the best elements of cloud rap and of trap and of all the kind of interesting things that happen so in, the, in New York. There's a lot of Houston-y kind of um, uh, yeah, DJ screwish. That's so. Yeah, that's why it sounds, you know, kind of purple hazed out and woozy and, you know, slow and thick because he understands, he understands how to kind of merge all those sounds. He's got a really good ear for production. And he really dismisses all those traditional generic tropes of you know four four beats and auto tune and definitely, definitely that. I mean, you know, even the word even the, the Skrillex track, which is basically yeah. fucking unlistenable, mm. I would rather listen to than a sort of David Guetta produced. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um you know. So yes, yeah, so th- that's definitely true. Yeah. Do you think it's gonna take off? Do you think it's gonna be a big thing? I mean the record label signed for three million dollars, which implies that they think he's going to I and mean, they've just given it from you know, giving him three million dollars for a laugh. They think he's gonna do very well. Yeah, I th- I mean, I think that he has lots of charisma as a rapper. I think that mm. he is genuinely exciting to listen to. I think that he does, uh, like, you know, party anthems really well. When I've seen him at festivals, I saw him at a festival in Norway last year, um, Oya, which was a really weird experience because there was kind of various rap people and the audience were kind of almost mute uh, and kind of weren't, weren't getting into it at all. Like, Odd Future played, Frank Ocean played, and they pretty much just kind of stand and clapped in silence mm. in unison. And when ASAP was on, that was the first time when people were really crazy. And, you know, lots of European festivals where I've seen him at, that has been the kind of general consensus, more than Odd Future, more than lots of rappers, more than Kendrick, more than... Because, I mean, Odd Future, Frank, like, like, I mean, this is, they, they, this, they were sort of supposed... You know, again, they were signed for a lot of money, Odd mm. Future. They were clearly supposed to, you know, break mm. that sort of Guetta for, for hegemony in the charts. Yeah. Um, and it was like that album never came out. I mean, it's nobody gave monkeys when it all boiled down. So Frank Ocean, yeah. but that, that odd future mixtape volume two of it. No, it tanked, didn't it? It really tanked. It was number 39, I think, in Britain. I don't yeah. think that ASAP tries so hard, though. I don't think that he sounds contrived, and I don't think that that comes across with this. He's, no, no, I think there's lots... That's of why he's so stylish. That's why the kind of trill, swag, come to fuck down thing has, mm. has spiralled and, you know, has really snowballed because... He's, you know, he, it's stylish and people buy into that, don't they? I, yes, I guess I, I think, I suppose my one real objection to it is that on one level, his music and what he's got to say is no less vacuous than Will I Am being all up in the club. You know what I mean? With yeah. the, it's just, it would be nice if, you know, the world is going 
fucking nuts. You know what I mean? It would be nice if on some level a rapper... Stay- and also, you know, it's, look at Kendrick Lamar. That's a really good album. He's a guy mm. with a lot to say and he's yeah. a great storyteller and he's... Mm. You know what I mean? And I would just like a little bit more of that from, from, from ASAP, if you're listening, mate. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm, sure you're, I'm sure you really care with your three million quid and all your bitches um, what I think about your music. But anyway... Um, I, on the, there are lots of really good tracks on the album. Um, it's definitely worth checking out. Oh, so anyway, that's out. Oh, that's uh, ASAP Rocky, uh, Hell, featuring Santa Gold, one of the tracks produced by Clams Casino um, from the album, and uh, the album is out on Monday. <laughs> this week, guardian.co.uk forward slash music launches a new series called Hidden Treasures in which our writers take a look at beloved albums that never got the attention they deserved. We're going to be doing the same thing here on Music Weekly, and kicking things off, here's Michael Hand talking about Massachusetts, an album I've never heard, by the Scud Mountain Boys, a group I've never heard of either. Great! My wife was in labour with our second child. We had brought a CD player into the hospital and a selection of albums. Mellow in mood, gentle in instrumentation, rich in melody. A swell of guitars rippled from the speakers and the midwife smiled approvingly. Then her expression changed as Joe Panisse started singing. I hate my life. So many compromises. It wasn't the kind of song supportive fathers are meant to be playing at a birth. That song, Everyone Else Is Evolving, came from an album Joe Panisse released under the name Chappaquiddick Skyline. He's also been big tobacco, Joe Panisse, and fronted two groups, Panisse Brothers and Scud Mountain Boys. The former, with their bouncy chamber pop disguising lyrics about hopelessness, were my route in. The latter are the group I return to more often, particularly their third album, Massachusetts, which got lumped in with the alt-country movement when it was released in 1996, even though Panisse was more of a miniaturist of American music than a pasticheur. Massachusetts came out on Sub Pop, when that label was trying to work out what it wanted to be in the aftermath of grunge. Aside from the presence of men with guitars, some of whom might conceivably have been wearing plaid, it's a long way from Nirvana, though perhaps not lyrically. One writer has said Massachusetts is about getting wasted. I don't think that's quite right. It's about wasted lives. Lives that end prematurely. Lives that are unfulfilled. As well as lives that are lived in a miasma of booze and drugs. Not that there's anything exciting or glamorous about the wastedness here. It's more Carver than Bukowski. Panice's losers live in the run-down suburbs, not the city centres. They're drunk in front of the TV rather than at the club. And when they go out, they don't have adventures. They die. The tone for Massachusetts is set by what's become Panisse's signature song. On the face of it, it's about a man who's been dumped and he's pining for his ex. He's stoned, lonely and miserable. And he calls her, pleading that I would give anything to make it with you just one more time. He's wretched and pathetic, someone who can't move on himself and doesn't want her to move on either. 
It's only when you check the title that you realise he's not just wretched and pathetic. He's vindictive and cruel. It's not that he doesn't want her to move on. He wants to ruin her life. The song is called Grudge Fuck, the least likely title for a gorgeous soft rock lament that you could ever choose. An evidence of Panisse's gift for titles. There's another song he's recorded later on called Second Semester Lesbian, which may be my favourite song title ever. All my friends have left me Panisse's view of romance is startlingly bleak. Massachusetts opens with a song called In a Ditch, in which the narrator is describing a woman who wasn't a saint. She never had the ability to feel, he says. He's describing this the morning after she was pulled from a ditch, as he describes, somewhere down on 95 on the wrong side of the road, found a needle and a pipe she had hidden by her side. And his memory of her? I used to know the face broken on the steering wheel. It's not surprising, given his mordant worldview and his persistent identity changes, that Panisse has never found anything resembling a commercial breakthrough. Think of him as a US answer to Luke Haynes, but less concerned with the exterior culture, more with the interior life. And if I'm honest, I'm not sure I blame the world for not embracing him. Could you love a man who sings, as Panisse does on Big Hole? It builds me up to kill things that I love and chop them down. That was Michael Hahn revealing his hidden treasure, Massachusetts by Scud Mountain Boys. That's about it for this week. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. For Thank you. We're back in a week, won't we, Kieran? Yeah. <coughs> yep. Um, but you can have your say anytime at all on guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly. And belatedly, a very happy new year to you. Bye bye. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.